0: <تكتشفت> الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين حمد يوافي نعمه ويكافئ مزيده وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ الْوَاحِدُ الْأَحَدُ الْفَرْدُ الصَّمَدُ الَّذِي لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُنْ لَهُ أُفُؤًا أَحَدُ وأشهد أن سيدنا وأولنا وولينا ومولانا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضلله، ومن يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له ومن يتوكل على الله فهو حسبه Ni'ma al-Mawla wa ni'ma al-Haseeb Amma As the Muslims in the world prepare to go to the Hajj And as they are on their way to the Hajj As we are speaking And as some of them have already arrived In Mecca and in Al-Medina With all that is happening in this world The Hajj And it's healthy to be factual And self-critical The Hajj has lost its content, its message, its impact, and its influence. And there are reasons for that. This just did not happen out of the blue. There are reasons for that. Why is it that we Muslims go to the Hajj every year, and then from year to year, it seems like things are deteriorating, and the Hajj itself, with that potential of millions of Muslims in the Hajj, has no impact on our lives, on our social lives, on our interactive activities. Why is it that Muslims go to the Hajj and concentrate on their differences? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And don't be like those who were divided and who disputed among themselves arguments contentions polarizations generating bad feelings why is this isn't it about time that the Muslims grew up matured so that they can look at these issues and omit them from their social lives brothers and sisters committed Muslims I am going to begin hopefully a series of khutbas that take a look at some of the petty issues that have become argumentative issues divisive issues among the Muslims we spoke at length previously about the hadith literature and how many of the divisive issues that we suffer from can be traced to hadith literature that's because much of the hadith literature has the sahih hadiths in them and the less than sahih hadiths in them ...and just fabricated hadiths out and out. Now there's another layer to the divisions that the Muslims are suffering from. And that layer of divisions has to do with what are called fiqhi issues. These are the scholars of Islam that came in the generations that followed Allah's Prophet... And did their best at explaining their body of knowledge As it relates to our practical efforts And in this body of knowledge there is reasonable differences And there are differences that are not reasonable And when you take a look at all of this You can find some rationalization, some logic for these types of differences which of course should not become issues of division. They are differences. The differences may be attributed to okay, the Prophet said something once and only a few people heard it. prophet said something once and only his closest affiliates heard it the prophet said something and many people heard it the prophet may have had his privacy which the average person on the outside is not privy to so we have these differences that work out like this let me put them in simple terms we have some issues that some scholars I don't want to be specific now maybe towards the end of this first khutbah I'll give some examples but some issues are considered to be farḍ by some scholars By other scholars they are considered to be Sunnah a, a fardh is something that is mandatory You have to do it A sunnah is something that is less than mandatory If you do it, it's better That's one circle of issues another circle of issues is on the other side some scholars say something is haram forbidden and others say no it is makrooh it's not a good thing but it's not forbidden it's less than forbidden in these two ranges of al-halal and the haram, what is lawful and what is unlawful, there are different degrees engaging a particular performance of your ibadat, as they are called, your shahair. The problem is, when some when some scholars say something is halal and then other scholars say that same something is haram here's where we we're, begin, we're going to begin to have a serious issue that's one the other one the other thing is when some scholars say something is a sunnah and other scholars say that same thing is makruh. Here, once again, we run into difficult problems. There shouldn't be any problems in this area. If we were to reference ourselves in the book of Allah and the messenger of Allah, shouldn't be any problem. But the problem is, Many of us think about ourselves as belonging to a certain scholar before we belong to Allah and His Prophet. Now, I'm going to break this down. I don't want to get on anyone's nerves. But I want to just break this down a little. The scholars, the ulama, the fuqaha, the a'imma, those who did their best at explaining Islam in the practical sense. It's called fiqh. Many of us, we consider ourselves, if they ask you, what's your madhab? Someone would say, oh, I'm a Maliki, or I'm a Shafi'i, or I'm a Hanafi, etc. Whatever these madhab are it just happens that no one says i'm a muhammadi that would have been a more accurate statement but we are not we are not as mature yet to give that response so let's ask ourselves to get rid of these divisions and these disputes let's ask ourselves was muhammad a Shafi'i was Allah's Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was he as an example there are many fuqaha only about five or ten of them remain their fiqh remains practiced by the Muslims of the world there were hundreds of them so we ask ourselves why if we, if we know in our minds that the Prophet was not, let's say, a Hanafi, or a Shafi'i, or a Maliki, or a Hanbali, if he wasn't that, then why do we say we are? This is a healthy question to ask and answer at this time in our world. When people want to come in and divide us on issues, that should not be divisive now i want to come to the practical part of that. i want to give examples so you understand what i'm saying this is the general idea and someone to ask okay c- could you be more concrete what do you mean by that okay i'm going to be more concrete and give you some examples that cause this is umawi islam we are living with this is not a Muhammadi Islam, we are living with an Umawi Islam that make issues of what is called the Ibadat, our Salah, our Siyam, our Hajj, make these issues the defining issues. We forgot about justice, we forgot about equality, we forgot forgot about social justice, and now all of our attention and all of our evaluation of a Muslim is how he or she performed their salah. It's a sorrow state of affairs that we are in. And I'll give you an example here. In our salah, and I'm taking, I'm right now obviously taking a look at the majority of Muslims in this world and let us see what their fiqh says and how they become fanatics concerning their fiqh in the salah when we end our salah we end it by saying assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah now some muslims they say they turn to the right and they say assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah and then they turn to the left and say assalamu alaykum rahmatullah this is this is supposed to be a non issue but let's see what the how the fuqaha relate this information to us the hanbali madhab says if you don't say assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah The second time, turning your head to the left, your salah is batila. You have voided your salah. The other schools of thought say say no. If you said your first assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, your salah is valid. To speak honestly you do what your heart tells you is right in this pool of opinions and don't let any other person be judgmental over you that's one issue but what do we what do we have now we have Muslims who have been fanatically educated or taught that let's say this person is a fanatic humbly and unfortunately many of the fanatics are in that school of thought and they see someone who just said assalamu alaikum warahmatullah once and didn't turn to the left and say assalamu alaikum warahmatullah then they become aggressive they turn hostile what for aren't they educated enough to say and realize that Islam is inclusive Another issue Saying Bismillah rahman rahim At the beginning of the Salah At the beginning of Al-Fatiha Is mandatory in a Shafi'i school of thought Fine The Hanafi school of thought says, no, it's a sunnah, it's not mandatory. That's also fine. Why should anyone work themselves up to bad feelings because the other Muslim sees it another way? In al salat al-sirrīya, when we are praying al-duhūr and al-asr, We don't vocalize our qira'ah in these salah. The ma'moom, the Muslim who is following the imam, say the Shafi'i school of thought says that the person who is following the imam has to himself read the Fatiha. That's fine. The Maliki school of thought says, no, it's optional. You can read it or you cannot read it. That's fine. Why do people want to make this a divisive issue? And more than a divisive issue, an issue of evaluating the other Muslim. Don't do that. When you're making your wudu. There's something called takhlil. You run your fingers through your hair, whether it's your beard or whether it's your head. That's called takhlil. The Maliki Maliki school of thought says it is wajib. It's mandatory to do that. All the rest of the uh, the rest of the school says, no, it's optional. You can do it or you cannot do it. Both of those are fine. Why can't our Islam be as open-minded as to say both of them are equally valid? You do what your heart feels comfortable doing and let the other Muslim do what their heart feels comfortable doing. We can't mature and do that The Hanbali say when you begin your wudu it is mandatory to say bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Fine. All the rest say no it's optional. Whether you say it or you didn't say it your wudu is still valid. Do we have to be as close-minded as to say these are conflicting views? No. These are this is a wide range of choices and then the sequence in al wudu we begin by washing our hands and then we wash our face and then we wash our arms and then we wipe our head and then we go to our feet that's the sequence that sequence as far as the shafii school of thought is concerned is mandatory you have to do it in that sequence the maliki and hanafi schools of thought they say no it's a sunnah it's not mandatory meaning your wudu is all right if you began by washing your face and then washing your feet and then washing your arms if you change the sequence your wudu is still valid I don't know why Muslims cannot see it in themselves to consider the other Muslim whichever way he is performing his salah or his wudu to be valid. Then running your when you're washing your hands in a wudu if you run your fingers through your fingers that's called takhlil al-asaba The Maliki say that is wajib. The rest say no, it's not wajib. When we go to the Hajj, and this is people are going to the Hajj. The days of Tashriq, those are the three days that follow the Nahar. After the Muslims sacrifice whatever it is, a cow or a sheep or a goat or a camel, whatever they sacrifice, after that the three days are called a yam at tashriq. Some Muslims they want to stay in Mina during those days of tashriq. Staying in Mina is mandatory in the Shafi'i school of thought. The Hanafi school of thought says no, it is a Sunnah. It's not mandatory to to stay those three nights in Mina. Okay, we went through some examples of what is Wajib or far and what is sunnah or mustahab now we flip to the other side something that they say is haram forbidden prohibited uh, or it is makruh it is less than that we come to the beard if we take a look at the fiqh literature you come to the muslim man's beard can we shave the beard? Most of the scholars said it is forbidden to shave the beard. A lesser amount of scholars said no, it's makruh. It is not forbidden, it's just not desirable. Okay, what if my heart i'm looking at this and i'm trying to understand allah and his prophet the best that i can and i see that there are two opinions like why should i become hostile to another muslim who has an opinion that differs from mine why this has become killing material people now are killing because of these unsubstantial issues Or differences, rather. Okay, if we take a look at the fiqhi literature, and someone wants to travel before dhuhr, in the old Islamic literature, it's called zawal, when the sun begins to move to the other half of the day. So let's say someone wants to travel in this time period and his traveling is going to cause him or her to miss their jumu'ah salah what do these scholars who did their best in understanding our responsibilities what did they say? some ulama said no it's it's haram you can't do that if, if initiating commencing your journey before Salat al-Jum'ah is going to cause you to miss Salat al-Jum'ah on Friday. We're not talking about Thursday or Wednesday or other days. We're talking about Friday. So some scholars said, no, it's haram, you can't do it. Others said, no, it's permissible, you can. Alhamdulillah that we have this range of accommodation. Look at it positively. And don't accuse another Muslim that his iman is less or his iman iman is suspect because his heart feels comfortable with doing something your heart doesn't feel comfortable with. Coming into the masjid, this happens, if you pay attention, entering the masjid the person is giving the khutbah and then someone begins to pray during the imam's presentation of the khutbah this excludes the two rak'at of sunnat uh, al-masjid tahiyat al-masjid this excludes that if someone just wants to pray nafil i feel like praying and not listening to the imam What do these scholars say about that? Some of them said it's haram, you can't do it. The khutbah is equivalent to a fardh. You have to listen to the khutbah. Others said, no, it's undesirable. You can do it, but you're not doing exactly the right thing. Then there is something else that happens during a salah. As I said, these issues have to become issues that are generally accepted among the Muslim public. So we can get rid of the fanaticism and the divisions and the hatred and the bad feelings that come from these types of valid differences. We have a ma'moom, a person who is following the imam in the salah. What if that ma'moom goes ahead of the imam? The imam wants to go to ruku'ah, the ma'moom goes before him. Or he wants to go to sajda, and then the ma'moom goes before him. What do they have to say about that? The Shafi'i school of thought says, that invalidates your salah. If you go ahead of the imam, you have just invalidated your salah. You have to pray all over again. Others say no, it's just makruh. It's something that you shouldn't have done. But it did not invalidate your salah. And then the khutbah of al-jumu'ah. Someone wants to give the khutbah for the Jumu'ah. What if the khatib who is giving the khutbah doesn't have wudu? He doesn't have wudu. What What are these fuqaha? What do they say about this issue? Most of the fuqaha say that the khutbah is invalid. You can't do it. In other words, it's forbidden. The others say, no, it can be done. But it's not desirable to do that. Makruh. These are the issues. As I said at the beginning, These sh- these should not be issues of division and they should not be issues of superiority, inferiority some Muslims they think they're smart they say the way I'm doing things is the perfect way that things should be done and the other Muslim the way he or she are doing things meaning that they because they belong to another school of thought there are infractions in what they are doing and how they are doing it Can't we just grow up and say the way we all perform it is equally valid? If we can't reach that point, there's still going to be some distance in some area that troublemakers come in and cause some Muslims to have bad feelings towards other Muslims. And this is what gives ammunition to sectarianism, and ammunition to takfiris and others who consider the other Muslim not to be a Muslim based on these types of issues. وَلَا تَكُونُ كَالَّذِينَ تَفَرَّقُوا وَاخْتَلَفُوا مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِينَ أَكُولُ قَوْلِ هَذَا وَأَسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهَ لِي وَلَكُمْ اُدْعُوهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَأَنْتُمْ عَلَى يَقِينٍ بِالْإِجَابَةِ الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمةً وهدى لكافه الامم محمد النبي الامي وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم يا committed Muslims Muslims of unity Muslims of cohesion Muslims of solidarity and Muslims of togetherness as we should be. These issues that are made to become the ones that I referred to in the first khutbah, these types of issues are presented to the Muslim public as the most important issues in Islam how did this happen where did this come from it certainly did not come from Allah and his Prophet. so where did it come from how did this happen how did we wind up giving priority definition to matters of differences valid differences of opinion by which we begin to entertain hatred of the other muslim where did this come from if we wanted to scan history accurately we will find it came from the umawi dynasty and the facade, the front of scholars that they had to try to legitimize and legalize the injustice that the rulers at that time were responsible for. That's where it began. So instead of the Muslims from that generation onwards, instead of the Muslims having a clear perception of evaluating the other on the basis of justice, which is the whole message of Islam. لَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا رُسُولَنَا بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ وَأَنزَلْنَا مَعَهُمْ All of this, history of scriptures and prophets, all of it, centers around justice doesn't center around rituals. When Allah speaks to us about the history of Prophet Musa and Bani Israel, read it, it's in the Qur'an. Almost one third of the Qur'an is that history. Do you see anything in there about rituals? The same issues that I just spoke about? Do Do you just find me one that has to do with rituals? The way they were praying, or the way they were fasting, or the way they were conducting their personal lives in their bedrooms and in their bathrooms. You find any ayah talking about that? Absolutely not! So what happened to us? And that's only one example. Allah speaks about civilizations. He speaks about empires. He speaks about power structures and establishments. And here we are speaking about, if I make a sajda, what's the definition of the sajda? Is it that my forehead only be on the ground and therefore it's a sajda? Or it has to be my forehead, my ten fingers, and my ten toes. They have to be grounded and thus it is a sajda. And now we have to argue about the definition of a sajda. This is the Umawi imposition on the Muslims. First of all, those who were supporting the Umawi dynasty and then eventually those who remained silent concerning this travesty in history. Now, we transition from that history to our time now. We have Umawis today, they're not called Umawis, they don't have the name Umawis, but they have the character of Umawis, today. And we have the circle of scholars that are protecting them in the media, in the public eye, they're protecting them. What happened this week things are happening at a moving pace what happened this week that ruling class in what is called Saudi Arabia they took yet another one of their major scholars and put him behind bars this person is called Abdul Aziz El Fawzan he's a professor at one of the universities, Muhammad ibn Saud University, and he has become the 15th professor to be thrown behind bars in these past months. You wouldn't notice this from reading your average newspaper or listening into your average TV or radio program. They're concerned with A couple of, this happened this week also, two Saudi Muslim women were also thrown behind bars. And the media here is so upset because these are women who are demanding rights for women. Fine. But can't we have a type of media that is fair, that can cover the whole news spectrum, and say that this Saudi regime is putting behind bars professors. They want equal rights for women, but they don't want equal rights for professors, for ulama. No, that doesn't bother them. The last words in his tweet, he has over 2 million followers on Twitter. His last words that he tweeted was hasbuna اللَّهُ before that he says أَحِبَّتِي فِي كُلِّ مَكَانِ My dear ones everywhere لا تَنْسَوْنِي مِن صَالِحِ دَعَوَاتِكُمْ Don't forget me from the best of your dua وَحَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلِ Now he's behind bars This incident and we're sure there there's going to be other incidents like this for your information the two major scholars in that kingdom who were in the previous years silent about the crimes of their Umawi regime you see they call them Saudis now if we want to bring history into the present or compare the present with its historical precedent, it's an Umawi regime in the Arabian Peninsula. Where do you hear that from Muslims? Come on, think. Who says to us that this is an Umawi regime? It's about time these scholars who fall for the dollar, it's about time that they came out and express themselves on the injustices that are perpetuated by the rulers that they have. And what do we have now? The king himself, Salman. Where is he spending his summer vacation? He goes out every year and has a summer vacation. Usually, Him and his entourage and his likes, they go to the Riviera in France. These are the people who these so called ulama call Wulata Amrina. Amrina. Where do they go? They want to spend their vacation, go to the French Riviera. Or Marbella in Spain. Or even Tanja in Morocco. That's where they go. You call them Wulata Umurina. How does any Muslim in his right mind refer to them? Can you, for a moment, if you understood history right, can you imagine Aba Bakrin or Umar or Uthman or Ali or Imams or Awliya Allahis Salihin, can you imagine them going to a French Riviera? Or to the Spanish Marbella? Or to Tanja? Or other places? They come here to the United States, there's many sinkholes that they drop into. And then you call them, you, I'm talking about the scholars in Saudi Arabia, you call them, umurina. It's a red line when someone wants to criticize in good faith for a good purpose, wants to show them the wrongs that they are doing, then they get hostile. Yeah, well, why do you get hostile? A wrong is a wrong. So, where does he go to spend his summer vacation? He goes to this new city that they are building. There's a project. His son, with his contacts with the muddied classes of the world, with the power classes of the world, they told him, you have to build a post-modern city. They call it Neom. On the borders of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Egypt. In that corner there. A city that will cost, listen to this. That city is going to cost 500 billion dollars look at what's happening to us and look at where our wealth is going what's happening to us Muslims and where our wealth is going Kudos to the uh, prime minister or president of Ethiopia oh here when was it last week or the week before turn down The offer of the United Arab Emirates to teach them about Islam. He said, who are you to teach us about Islam? Of course, he's a Muslim. And most of the population in his country are Muslims. Regardless of what the Western press says. He said, look at your Islam. Your Islam is one of mutual wars. One of self-destruction. I'm paraphrasing his words. One of self-destruction. One of hatred. We don't want that. What we want is to learn the Arabic language. That's that's what's needed. You learn that language. Any Muslim in the world, any peoples in the world should learn that. To block these court scholars from defending The agents of Zionism and imperialism in the birthplace of Islam and the birthplace of the Prophet and this city of 500 half a trillion dollars is going to be built on an area of roughly 27,000 square kilometers you you go open any any book of Geographical information and look at the city that you are familiar with if you're from Africa or Asia or from North America or Europe and see how much the area of that city is and compare that city with 27,500 square kilometers that this new city is going to be if they have it their way. We don't even know if that's going to materialize or not with their folly policies and all of this that's going on. Now, this president here in Washington, D.C., he wants to put together what he calls an Arab NATO. All of the Arabian Gulf, or most of the Arabian Gulf and Arabian Peninsula state, probably with the exception of Yemen and Oman, in addition to Egypt and Jordan, he wants to make of them A carbon copy of NATO. And many reference is made to a Sunni Arab NATO. Here is where those who feel that they are Sunnis. Here is where they should begin to be sensitive what does this have to do with islam and sun and the understanding of islam in a sunni way what does this have to do with it why are they calling it a sunni arab nato alliance it feeds into the sectarianism that we spoke about the more accurate word which neither the non muslim nor the muslims themselves are saying that this is an Umawi, Arabian NATO. That's what it is. But see, our thoughts are subject to their misinformation, and we can't see the light to find the right word to describe what is happening. A United Nations, This, all of this is going on, And a United Nations official said, this is a comment on Yemen, millions, this is not a Muslim speaking, just an observer in her function, belonging to the United Nations, going to Yemen. She said, millions of Yemenis are eating one meal every two days. where are these people who speak about Islamic brotherhood and Islamic neighbors what are these massage doing all around the world when all of this is happening no one has or very very few have the courage the moral integrity to speak to this injustice systematic and brutal as it is and now in the Red Sea there is joint military exercises in which the armed forces of Egypt the United Arab Emirates Saudi Arabia and the American forces all of them are participating in What is all that about? What are they preparing for? You think that, you know, this is a a picnic military exercise? On the other hand, we have the United Arab Emirates its ambassador here made it very clear that he foresees a future secular Arab world in which all of the governments are secular his country, they're preparing their embassy in Damascus for resumption of activities. They're going to re— in other words, they're going to reopen their embassy in Damascus. That's a strong indication that they have been losing in all of these years, and now they're back to well, let, let's have bygones be bygones now it's business as usual after they destroyed a whole country they want to act as if nothing has happened Egypt has refused an official request from the United States and from Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and their cohorts to get more directly involved in Yemen just recently, in this past week, they wanted Egypt because they're losing. Why do you think they went and they bombed? In the past 24 hours, they bombed a hospital in Yemen. I believe in Al-Hudaydah. And a fish market in which 55 innocent civilians were killed. And the world is looking the other way. Okay, we can understand the world. But how about we the Muslims? Why are we looking the other way? In occupied Palestine Correction In colonized Palestine Ahed al-Tamimi who slapped an Israeli soldier on his face, and who got eight months in prison for doing that, I believe it's six or eight months, spent that amount of time in prison, was just released this week. Little do does the outside world know that there are 200 and at least 210 other children who are behind bars in Israeli prisons. There's an attempt to break the siege on Gaza. There are three ships or vessels that are sailing on their way to Gaza. The first one arrived a couple of days or so ago. And before its arrival, it was taken over by the Israeli killing force. And it placed its occupants in prison. And then once again, this is not a major news item. No one mentions it. And we don't expect the Zionist or imperialist media to dwell on an issue like this. But what do you say about Muslims who are silent about these issues? Why are they silent? Because around 1400 years ago, the attention of the Muslim public was taken from this realm, from military, political, ideological, economic developments. The attention was refocused on rituals. What I said in the first khutbah, how is a person praying? That's how we're going to evaluate him. We're not going to evaluate the ruler on the decisions that he is making that is causing death and destructions all over the Muslim hemisphere. It's been in progress for 1400 years. And hopefully now we can ask ourselves some soul-searching questions. That this Umawi imposition has to go. Especially when that class of scholars in the Arabian Peninsula now are behind bars. The two celebrity scholars there, Salman al-Awda and Safar al-Hawali, the first one was taken to prison last September, He was in fairly good health. Now his health is deteriorating. Safar al-Hawali was taken to prison about three weeks ago. He was taken when his health was failing, and now it is deteriorating even more. And what do his colleagues, the other ulama, what do they have to say about that? Do they have the courage to break away from their Umawi sponsors? Or are they going to still tow the line that has run out of steam and has run out of gas? Their end is in sight. Allahumma <laughs> arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah Wa arina al-baatila batilan warzuqna ajtinaaba Wa la taj'alhumultabisan alayna وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ إِمَامًا رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِن نَّسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا رَبَّنَا وَلَا تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْنَا إِصْرًا كَمَا حَمَلْتَهُ عَلَى الَّذِينَ مِن قَبْلِنَا رَبَّنَا وَلَا تُحَمِّلْنَا مَا لَا طَاقَةَ لَنَا بِهِ واعفو عَنَّا وَاغْفِرْ لَنَا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وإسرافنا في أمرنا وثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا أفرغ علينا صبرا وَثَبِّتْ أَقْدَامَنَا وَانْصُرْنَا عَلَى الْقَوْمِ الْكَافِرِينَ رَبَّنَا صَلِّ وَسَلِّمْ وَبَارِكْ عَلَى مُحَمَّدٍ وَآلِهِ الطَّيِّبِينَ الطَّاهِرِينَ وَصَلِّ وَسَلِّمْ وَبَارِكْ عَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ فِي الْعَالَمِينَ إِنَّكَ حَمِيدٌ مَّجِيدٌ بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم من منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمركم أن تؤدوا الأمانات إلى أهلها وإذا حكمتم بين الناس أن تحكموا بالعدل إن الله نعم ما يعظكم به إن الله كان سميعا بصيرا ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة الله اكبر الله اكبر اشهد ان لا اله الا الله كن محمد رسول الله حيث الصلاه حيث الصلاه قد قامت الصلاه الله اكبر الله اكبر لا اله الا الله